credit scores, down payments, interest rates. Car buying can be a numbers game, but you don't have to be a math expert to get the keys to your dream car. Just use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. Crunch your numbers and get personalized results so you know exactly how much you'll pay each month for your car. It's like having a magic wand for your wallet. Presto! The car you've been wanting is now within reach. So hit the road and leave your calculator at home. Auto Trader. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here with us um, for oversight. And this is Stuff You Should Know. Just a couple of dudes talking menstruation. <laughs> That's right. And it sounds totally normal when you say it like that. It sounded like the making copies guy. You sounded to me like Troy McClure. Yeah. You're right. I am. I'm definitely more right than you were. Troy McClure. That's right. That's exactly right. That was dead on, actually. <laughs> you weren't even trying, Chuck. Oh, I used to do Troy McClure back in the day. Yeah. That was one of my bits. Well, you still got it, buddy. Thanks. And I don't know, I, I think longtime listeners will have picked up, Chuck, that we're stalling right now. <laughs> um, new listeners might be like, what are these guys doing and talking about? I'm never listening to them again. But hang on, wait, just chill out. We do this sometimes, especially when we're taking on a topic that we're um, only equipped to understand as researchers. Yes. I think is a good way to put That's it. That's a great but, way to put it. We are researchers. It's what we do. And anybody who researches something um, well and with an open mind, I think, is a perfectly legitimate uh, in a perfectly legitimate position to talk about whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Carving out our territory here. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But we're talking menstruation today. We are. And uh, another bit of just upfront uh, knowledge that we want to drop is – uh, we're going to use different terms. We're going to say girls. We're going to say women. We're going to say people who menstruate uh, mm -hmm. because we don't want to uh, overlook the trans community. And mm -hmm. even though, you know, most websites you go to will still say girls and women, uh, we're going to just sort of interchange words here and there to cover all our bases and to be respectful of uh, of everybody. Yeah, another one will be menstruators. Yeah, we should just say menstruators, period. Oh, I guess so. Didn't even mean that. <laughs> wow, Chuck. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that was really good to say. And it's not like, you know, I'm sure we'll fall into women, uh, girls um, pretty frequently. Uh, and that's not to say that we are um, judgy or critical of the concept of men menstruating. Um, it's just that it's it's a fairly new concept to us and we're still um, we're still getting used to it. So please, please accept our apologies in advance if if we do that. And also uh, for our younger listeners, especially our uh, the young girls who listen to our show, you know, in addition to our puberty, female puberty podcast, we did we did male puberty too, right? We did both. Yeah, yeah, we did both. Um, this is something that you know uh, I think a, is a lot of anxiety comes with 
we'll go ahead and say the word monarchy, which is uh, the, the first period, the first menstruation cycle uh, that someone can undergo. We've used that before. It's one of our favorite words from the early days of the show. Mm-hmm. From, I think, the totem pole episode? I think so, because yeah. uh, Native Americans celebrate the monarchy. Isn't that right? Monarchy. That's right. <laughs> but um, especially to those listeners, we just want you to know that uh, we hope that you embrace this as a the wonder of human biology that it is, because it's just an amazing thing that happens. And uh, knowing more about it, I think, is just powerful for little boys, little girls across the gender spectrum and men and grown men and uh, women alike. I suspect out of all those groups, grown men are the most childish about it. <laughs> probably, and probably know the least about it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, we're dying off slowly but surely, and we're being replaced by way cooler, smarter, with it um, people. So that's cool. It'll go away eventually. <laughs> uh, but what we're talking about is menstruation, which is, uh, a, and again, we're going to say some stuff like four weeks is a menstrual cycle, a biological mm-hmm. cycle. But we know that there are wide ranges of times. There are people who don't menstruate at all or whose menstruation is occasional. Um, there are all sorts of reasons for all these things. So we're using a lot of like averages and average terms here. Um, so just know that going in. But it's roughly takes place every four weeks. And mm-hmm. what is simply happening, which is amazing, yeah. is that the lining of the uterus, uh, the endometrium, is getting ready to host an egg that is fertilized and that thing sheds and yeah. with that shedding comes blood and become and some tissue and that's called menzies and it starts generally with that monarchy anywhere from 12 to 13 mm-hmm. it ends generally at menopause somewhere around 50 to 52 53 mm-hmm. uh, so that means that between the ages of 12 to 13 and the early 50s uh, someone will go through an average of 456 cycles uh, or oh, wow. about 6.2 years of their life. Isn't that interesting? Wow, that's amazing. Nice math, Chuck. Yeah, there's a lot of lifetime math I figured out. <laughs> so um, I think even people who have had um, cycles, they're they're reaching the end of their, what would you say, 436? 56. 456 cycles. Maybe they're on 455, and they're like, one more, baby. (laughs) By the way, if you're just going through monarchy, it doesn't actually work like that. I'm just teasing. Right. But my my point is is that I think even people who uh, menstruate and have menstruated for years and decades don't necessarily know why women uh, menstruate in the first place. Why would a human being menstruate? Um, there's practical reasons which we'll get into, but evolutionarily speaking, we don't fully understand it. And the reason why we don't really understand it is because so few mammals actually menstruate. There's plenty of other adaptations for getting an egg ready to be fertilized, and then what happens if the egg doesn't get fertilized, what do you do after that? But menstruation is is fairly rare in the animal kingdom. Humans are one of just a handful of bright, shiny um, people. Yeah, um, they have companions in the... Uh, some primates like the chimp or the large-headed capuchin, uh, the fulvous fruit bat, interestingly. Uh, there's a <laughs> shrew, uh, an elephant shrew, and a mouse. Did you look those up? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh, they're cute. <laughs> uh, and the spiny mouse, they all menstruate, um, but most mammals undergo something called an estrus cycle, 
Uh, it could be a seasonal thing, which is why you have things like mating season. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the case of some other mammals like cats, uh, it's actually, or our friend squirrels, uh, friendly squirrels that we just talked about. For sure. It's actually brought on by the act of sex, which is really interesting and sort that of makes sense. last minute. Yeah, but it also makes sense. It's like, let's not let's not get into anything before it's really time, right? So that, to me, makes a, a tremendous amount of sense. And the reason that there would be any kind of cycle at all, whether it's an estrus cycle or a menstrual cycle, um, is because there's a really high energetic and metabolic cost to keeping the uterus prepared to host a fertilized egg. And that if you're an animal that constantly has a uterus ready to accept an egg, you're going to expend way more energy, way more of your metabolism, um, keeping that uterus fluffy, as they say sometimes, and ready for an egg, a fertilized egg, than an animal who just does it once in a while or when it's triggered by sex. So evolutionarily speaking, it makes sense for it to be seasonal or activated by sex or even a a monthly thing. Yeah, and I just, that's something I never thought about. I never stopped and thought, well, why can't you just get pregnant anytime, evolutionarily speaking? Because mm-hmm. that would seem like a big time uh, advantage. Yeah. Uh, if you're trying to, you know, put people out in, if you're tuk tuk and you're trying to help put people out there in the world. Right. But it does make a lot of sense. And they've seen evidence in this. Like if someone in like a developing nation maybe just, you know, have like extreme nutritional deficiencies, uh, they may not menstruate at all uh, because their body like it extends that kind of like that drastic of a I guess just a a workload on the body that that's mm-hmm. that's one of the things that can get rid of if you're malnourished yeah malnourished it also pops up in elite athletes because they um, are exercising so much and also usually have such a small amount of body fat so there's like I guess your your body does like a, a body check every month and it's like, okay, are we equipped to, to do this? And if not, okay, we'll just skip it. If so, let's go through it. Yeah, and the really interesting thing is we were talking about some of the uh, mammals that go through the estrus cycle. They don't actually um, bleed. They don't have an external shedding process. They reabsorb it and it is literally digested in the body by enzymes that are there just to do that. So that question is still there. Like, why would evolutionarily speaking, why would the menstruation process to where you literally shed that lining out of your body mm-hmm. take place? And they're not really sure why. No, but there's theories. One of the predominant ones up until the 1990s. And after I say this, you'll be like, you mean the 1890s? And I'll say again, <laughs> no, the 1990s. Yeah. They used to think that the purpose of menstruation was to wash the uterus out of pathogens that might have been introduced by semen during sex. Um, Until the 1990s, that's what they thought that menstruation (laughs) was for. And then finally, somebody was like, let me me study this. And they did. They conducted a study where they tested bacterial loads at different phases um, from a woman's uterus and found that, nope, that's actually not the case at all. So that one finally got discarded. It did. And whoever proposed it to begin with, they're like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, man, I, I got a Nirvana show I'm trying to get to. It sounds good to me. <laughs> right. They went, Nirvana? This is the 1990s? <laughs> yeah. That was kind of a dud. I'm sorry. I <laughs> I tried to bring forth a chuckle, a laugh or something. I, I, just, I can't do it like you. That's okay. Um, the other thing they thought might uh, at least be related to this is maybe 
the size of the animal or the size of the uterus uh, mm-hmm. in relation to the size of the animal. But there's such a large range of uterine size in the animal kingdom that do menstruate that they basically kind of toss that out as well. Yeah, and it's uh, the reason why that was a theory because you're like uh, elephant shrew, spiny mouse, right. what kind of stupid theory is that? We've just very recently discovered that other animals menstruate. We didn't know that at all. So that's why that theory was so longstanding. And then also they think maybe it has to do with um, the way the endometrium forms or the fact that um, some animals for um, carry their young in placenta. Yeah. Those are still the jury's out on them. But, yeah, we don't really have any idea of, you know, what what menstruation is actually for. We know what it does, but how did it come along? And so it remains a beautiful mystery of the springtime of womanhood. <laughs> All right. Should we take a break and get into the uh, the nitty-gritty? Yes. All right. We'll be right back after this with details on menstruation. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery. But that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? 
Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Chuck, no one can see me right now, but I'm holding each elbow very tightly, and I didn't realize I was even doing it. I'm like, I'm really anxious right now. Uh, we got this. I, we, we shouldn't get nervous about this stuff. Every time we tackle something like this, we always get great support and say, you guys do what you do, which is, you know, research something. And it's not like we're not serial killers, yet we've talked about them. <laughs> I would yes, hazard right, to say that almost all the things we talk about, we don't have experience with. No, no, definitely. I'm not really anxious about that. What I'm anxious about is screwing it up. Yeah, sure. Giving a 13-year-old some bad information mm -hmm. or <laughs> making it harder to understand than before or, you know, just I, I just want to be helpful with it. And I'm, I'm anxious about not being as helpful as we could be. That's what I'm worried about. No, I'm, I'm totally with you. Um, and I think that this nitty-gritty part is straight ahead science pretty easy so let's do it yes but we have to say so ed helped us with this one ed doesn't menstruate either but he's a really good researcher too and our hats off for really um kind of diving into this and, and wrapping his head around it but he he points out something that is not commonly seen but i researched it and it's it's, I guess the more clinical and medical you go, the deeper into it, the more it becomes apparent that the menstrual cycle is actually, what we think of the menstrual cycle is actually a couple of different cycles. And Ed did the clinical way and like really broke it out into these two different cycles that are happening simultaneously and to the same end. Right. So we're talking about the ovarian cycle mm -hmm. and, the and the menstrual cycle. Right. And like I said, generally, like when you think about, you know, a period or something, you think about a, a, a week or so in someone's mm -hmm. life. But it's really it's a four week cycle. And each part is triggered by the release of hormones. And it's sort of always going on. And these two different cycles are sort of working with each other to, you know, to get ready to have a baby, basically. Yeah, and uh, an easy way to remember it or think about it that I kind of stumbled upon is that the menstrual cycle gets the uterus ready for an egg, and the um, ovulation cycle gets the egg ready for the uterus. What a beautiful dance. Thank you. You know? 
Well, I yeah, mean, I think so too. <laughs> I wasn't crediting you with that. I was crediting oh, oh. biology and nature, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I consider myself God. I created all this. <laughs> uh, so in this case, we're going to describe it, and I think Ed does a, is a does a good job of where he places this in the cycle as a listener, or you know, mm-hmm. in this case, as readers. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're going to start at the midpoint of the cycle, um, right after the period has stopped. And yeah. at this point, like we said, that the uterus, uh, the lining has been shed. Uh, mm-hmm. That would mean it's at its thinnest point at that point. And yeah. this is the beginning of what is known as the proliferative phase. Yeah, the proliferative phase of the menstrual cycle um, is the, the big star of that is a hormone called uh, estradiol which says, hey, endometrium, get a little thicker, um, double in size. Let's, um, how about we build some new arteries and blood vessels called spiral arteries to bring blood to all this new tissue that's being developed. Um, new structures are, are being built. The cervical mucus. Take which a break. Is normally, <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. Or chill out, I think, is a way to put it. Um, the cervical mucus usually has a pH of 2.8 to 4.5, or sorry, 3.8 to 4.5, which is very acidic. Um, and the pH raises more toward neutral, like around 7 during this time, which is, makes the the, um, the uterus much more hospitable to sperm because sperm thrive in about a 7 pH. They would die very quickly in the normal acidity of the of the uterus. So that's like, this is the process. There's, it's like the very beginning of the phase of prepping the uh, uterus for uh, an egg, if it happens. That's right. Uh, and while this is happening, the ovarian cycle kicks in uh, with the follicular phase. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two ovaries, and they have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of eggs within these little sacs called follicles. Mm-hmm. And the uh, hormones control all this, like we said. So in this case, it's a follicle-stimulating hormone is going to allow a few follicles to mature and eventually most of them will die off, and then there will be one follicle left uh, that's in— To you rule know, them all. That's right. One to rule them all. And this lasts about 10 to 14 days. Um, it's a little bit pre the proliferative—man, that's such a hard word for me—proliferative phase mm-hmm. uh, the menstrual cycle, and that's also about 10 to 14 days. So as you can see, it's all sort of kind of syncing up. Yeah, I saw the follicular phase actually begins on day one of the menstrual phase. So it it has a couple up to maybe five or so days head start on the proliferative phase. But the two work in conjunction, right? Eggs starting to get ready. The endometrium or the of the uterus is starting to get ready too. That's right. Now we move on to two more fun phases with fun names: mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the the luteal phase in the case of the ovarian cycle, and then the secretory or secretory phase, I would say secretory. Me too. Uh, And that's part of the menstrual cycle. Yeah, and they call um, the secretory phase um, that. It's not a secret. No, there's a lot of secretions going on. That's right. And this is when like those initial preparations that were begun in the proliferatory phase. See? uh, Proliferative phase. (laughs) It's a tough word. All those preparations that were like the very basic structure of the endometrium that was being developed really starts to fill out. 
And I said um, the the womb is frequently referred to as being fluffy at this time. Uh, it's maybe doubled in size. It's um, much more hospitable to an egg. And then the reason it's called the secretory phase is the chemicals that are being secreted are all sorts of like proteins and hormones and other things that will sustain uh, carbohydrates too, that will sustain an egg. If a fertilized egg shows up in your uterus, it's it, all sorts of secretions are being fed into your endometrium so that the egg will be nourished as it grows into a little bouncing baby. That's right. Uh, back to the luteal phase at this point, the follicle is going to rupture, and this is called ovulation. It's when the egg is released, and the egg travels down that fallopian tube uh, toward the uterus, mm-hmm. and... If it becomes fertilized, it's, you know, ideally, uh, if everything goes right, in the wide end of the fallopian tube where it meets the uterus. Uh, You Mm -hmm. can also undergo what's called an eptopic pregnancy. That's when it implants on the outside of the uterus. Uh, Emily and I went through one of these with one of our miscarriages that leads to a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very sad thing, but also uh, quite common. Uh, At some point, we should probably do... Uh, a whole episode on miscarriages because that is something that people don't talk nearly enough about. Yeah. Uh, and that happens like 25% of the time. And it's just not the sort of thing that people, you know, bring up with one another. But once it is brought up among friends and family, more people start saying, oh, yeah, I had one. I had two. Yeah. I had three. Definitely. Sure. Uh, and it's all very sad stuff. So we'll cover that at some point. But I wouldn't have the daughter I have now had our life not taken us in that direction. So. Uh, I can't imagine things any other way, you know? It's like Garth Brooks said, Chuck, some of God's greatest <laughs> gifts are unanswered prayers. <laughs> you sure that wasn't Chris Gaines? <laughs> <laughs> Chris Gaines covered that okay. Garth Brooks song in a head-spinning dose of postmodern irony. Uh, but at this point, if everything is going well, you have the egg, uh, again, at the wide end of the fallopian tube. Yeah, so that's where it's f- fertilized. If it's fertilized, it goes and falls into the uterus where it sticks to the endometrium and gets secreted all over and nourished and fed with lots of carbohydrates and proteins and there's hormones going berserk and the pregnancy begins. That's if the egg is successfully fertilized. And we should say that ovulation phase is the shortest phase of this whole cycle. It lasts only 24 hours. That's how long you have for your egg to become fertilized into a blastocyst is what they call it, which is a very unromantic name for a fertilized egg, but that's that. Um, so you've got 24 hours, and if that doesn't happen, the, the um, luteal phase keeps going. So you've got that, that follicle that the egg came out of. That turns into like this kind of conductor that's conducting the symphony that's going on in your uterus that's making it just more and more hospitable for a fertilized egg if it shows up. So the egg has 24 hours, but the luteal phase keeps going on well beyond that 24 hours. It doesn't know immediately that there's... Um, Like the fertilized egg isn't coming, so it keeps preparing for it as if it's going to for many days. I think um, something like a week and a half the luteal phase lasts. And then eventually they realize that the fertilized egg isn't going to show up. And so that follicle that's a conductor that's putting out um, progesterone suddenly just stops putting out progesterone. And all of a sudden, you have a huge imbalance between your progesterone levels and your estrogen levels. And it can make you extraordinarily irritable sad, anxious, and a bunch of other stuff just a few days before your actual period starts. And that's what they call premenstrual syndrome, a.k.a. PMS. 
That's right. Uh, it is a very normal thing to happen. Uh, this is something that we maybe could uh, we could probably get a whole episode out of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be very severe in some cases and be very disruptive in some cases. Uh, and and if, when that is the case, it's called premenstrual uh, dysphoric disorder. Uh, and it's funny, you know, Emily and I were talking about menstruation, you know, because I was researching this. And she just got back from the doctor, and they told her flax seed mm-hmm. is uh, can really aid with PMS symptoms. Oh, yeah? And, you know, it's like, here we are. You know, she's cruising up toward 50 years old and is, you know, just learning this stuff <laughs> right. about flax seed. So there's always room to learn, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, you said that uh, the progesterone and estrogen are going to cease to uh, be produced at this point. Mm-hmm. And, but what does happen is a substance called uh, prostaglandin is going to come along, and it's going to constrict all those spiral arteries that made those connections mm-hmm. uh, to get ready for you know their big scene. And that's going to cause them to tear themselves apart. And it's going to basically you're not going to get the blood flow to the endometrium that you had going on. Mm -hmm. So it's going to start breaking down away from the uterine wall. And so that that is the menses. That is the menstruation. And that's what's happening is those blood vessels. That's where the blood comes from. Right. Um, And then the tissue is your actual endometrium, that lining of your uterus um, that was built up into like this fluffy um, fertilized egg loving habitat. Uh, that's no longer needed because the fertilized egg never showed up. So you got to get it out somewhere. And again, animals that go through estrus, they reabsorb this. Uh, animals that menstruate get rid of it. They discharge it. And the reason why is because if you didn't, that stuff would build up awfully quick over the course of even just the first year you sure. started to have periods. And also, as we'll see, uh, it could cause you a whole host of uh, health problems. So it's actually really good and really smart, evolutionarily speaking and biologically speaking, to have um, the menstruation phase of the menstrual cycle. Um, and one of the things with that endometrium that I saw, Chuck, it can come out almost intact as a whole like it can come out in the shape of the uterus like the whole lining just comes out as in as in one chunk it's very rare but if you go look on the internet it's actually a real thing they're called decidual casts like a cast of something um not a not a cast of like a play a cast of like a like you'd make of a statue all right so i mean that's that's it in a nutshell right yeah I, i i would say even more than a nutshell like that's several nutshells worth. Uh, uh, acorn squash shell. I yeah, I think that's good. <laughs> but we should say that you wouldn't need an acorn squash shell to hold all of the blood that comes out because typically, when you go through the menstrual phase of or the menstruation phase of the menstrual cycle, what you call your period, usually it only results in about five or six tablespoons of blood over the course of like five to seven days. That's right, uh, but it can come in inconvenient times. Uh, people can be caught off guard, uh, and we'll talk about all that stuff. But um, first, let's get into some of the disorders mm-hmm. and problems that can happen with the menstrual cycle because it can be a very finicky thing. Um, if if you are someone who has just a super regular, very um, you know straightforward menstrual cycle, then you should count yourself lucky because it, yeah. it can go in all sorts of different ways. Uh, there's one way it can go called uh, dysmenorrhea, 
And these are cramps, basically. There are changes to the uterus that can cause these muscle contractions. And that cramping is very normal. And I think most people who menstruate have some amount of cramping uh, generally. But it can get really severe and also, uh, as with other things, very disabling and disruptive. Right. There's also um, amenorrhea which is where you just don't menstruate when you should be menstruating, at least biologically speaking, right? So they say that there's two kinds. Primary amenorrhea is after a girl uh, who has turned age 15 still hasn't had her first period. That's primary amenorrhea. And then um, a woman who has uh, had periods regularly before and then all of a sudden misses three of them, and we should say in, who is also not pregnant at the time, um, that would be secondary men, uh, amenorrhea. And both of them are nothing necessarily to be super scared about or anything, but they're probably something you would want to go talk to your gyneto- gynecologist about. Um, one other thing, well, a bunch of other things that can cause am- amenorrhea too. Um, like I said, um, elite athletes get it from too much exercise and not enough body fat. You can be malnourished for whatever reason or maybe have an eating disorder that causes you malnourishment. Stress can do it. Um, Your doctor might say, I think you're sniffing too much cocaine. That can definitely bring on amenorrhea. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of lifestyle changes that you can make that are probably fairly easy um, that that would bring your period back again if you want that kind of thing. Right. Uh, and we'll talk about it, but birth control pills are sometimes people get on birth control pills to regulate their period, uh, mm-hmm. and it really has less to do with getting pregnant or not. Yeah. So what else is there? Uh, menorrhagia? Is that what you're going Am with? Am I saying that? Menorrhagia? <laughs> I heard, and you know, I looked it up, but again, with these pronunciations, sometimes you'll get three different ones, so it's kind of frustrating. But I saw, or heard rather, uh, menorrhagia. Okay. I'm going to go with menorah Gia. (laughs) Well, this is essentially heavy flow, right? Yes. And again, usually you're looking at, what, three to five tablespoons of blood that comes out, again, over the course of five to seven days. On average. That is is not there are plenty of people who menstruate out there who are like, um, yeah, like quadruple that or whatever. Um, There are are people who have heavy bleeding, um, and either it's they bleed for longer— like beyond seven days is considered menorrhagia. Um, or if you apparently soak five sanitary products a day, or you soak more two or more in two hours, you definitely have menorrhagia. And the two or more in two hours actually means you want to go to the emergency room because you're losing blood, don't forget. And there's all sorts of things that can happen when your um, blood levels drop like um, iron deficiencies, like anemia, um, all sorts of terrible stuff. So you want to go to the ER if you're bleeding that often or that much. Yeah, you're probably uh, passing more clots as well, and you're probably also going to be having much more severe cramps if -hmm. you're undergoing uh, menorrhagia. Sounds no fun. It does sound no fun. And I guess we should talk about dealing with periods. I mean, that's all part of it, right? Or should we take a break and do that? Yeah, I say we take a break, Chuck, and we come back um, uh, all fists and elbows talking about dealing with periods. All right, let's do it. (laughs) 
something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery. But that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. <laughs> and catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. All right. Uh... 
we talked a little bit I talked a little bit about uh in the beginning about just getting past monarchy can be very anxiety inducing uh mm-hmm. getting into the world of menstruation for someone at the age of 13 or so can be very anxiety inducing um but it's again it's a wonder of nature it's not unusual it's not uh gross it's not weird um at the same time, it is blood coming out of your body, so it's something that uh, you want to, you know, take care of. You don't want to. I, I read that. God, I can't remember the statistic of the amount of ruined underwear mm-hmm. that a person goes through in their lifetime of menstruation, mm-hmm. and just the simple cost of that. So, if for no other reason than that, uh, and you know, health and sanitation, it's something that you're going to want to take care of with what's called a sanitary product. Yeah, and from what I can tell. The desire and the drive to use sanitary products um, is almost innate to where it's like you said, there's nothing to be ashamed of. But at the same time, you will want to use a sanitary product so much so that I've seen it described as a human right. Access to sanitary products for menstruation is considered a human right. Everyone should have it because if you don't have access to them, it can induce so many hits to your well-being, like anxiety, um, hits to your social life, like you might stay home from work. You just you you just don't want to leave your house or interact with people. You just don't feel comfortable doing that because you have no protection between your period and the rest of the world, which is one of the big points, one of the main points of sanitary products in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it's an evolutionary thing. If you see your body bleeding, you either want to stop the bleeding or if you can't, you are going to be wiping it off your arm or your leg or wherever it's coming out. Right, exactly. And nobody wants that. And most of all, the person who's menstruating. That's right. Uh, There are many different ways to deal with this. Uh, I think most people um, sort of probably experiment around until they find something they like uh, or can at least tolerate. Um, I think the word like is probably not the right word to use there. I don't know. I think so. I mean, there's definitely like a fit to it, you know. I think that it can you can feel reassured by it, maybe. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, uh, in that kind of way. But I, I don't think any of them are any kind of picnic to deal with. Okay, agreed. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I do. The one that you tolerate best and uh, that you deal with the best, I think, is probably what you're going to end up going with after you kind of try different things out. Um, one of them is a menstrual cloth. This is sort of the non disposable diaper of the sanitary uh, product world in that it is fabric that is washed and rewashed and reused again, um, you're probably not going to see this used very often in, you know, developed nations. It's mainly in uh, places that are poverty stricken uh, Mm -hmm. or in an emergency or if there's like a refugee crisis going on. Right. Um, If you take that menstrual cloth and you add wings to it, um, so that it stays fastened to the underwear, what you have is a reusable pad, basically. And with both of them, you can actually remove them after they become saturated, wash them out really, really well, and then reuse them. So they're reusable. And as uh, because they're reusable, reusable pads in particular are starting to see an uptick in use in countries like the United States because environmentally speaking, they're way preferable to things like disposable pads and tampons. Uh, You also have the disposable pad and the tampon. These are the two, um, I think the two still, the two most common used in the U.S. Far and away. Uh, A pad is going to, 
you know, have some absorbent material. There's going to be some plastics in there. There will be an adhesive uh, to hold it in place in the underwear. These, like I said, are disposable um, along with the tampon, which is uh, a cylinder. It's also absorbent. Uh, this is inserted into the vagina and it's going to soak up that menstrual blood on the inside before it actually leaves the body. Um, and again, obviously disposable. And we'll talk about toxic shock syndrome in one second, but I did a little calculating, mm-hmm. uh, or I, actually I went to websites that did the calculating for me because <laughs> I would get it wrong. Yeah. And I was just wondering about costs. Like we, we hear about the, uh, the pink tax, isn't that what it's called? Yes. Which is just sort of the amount of money that, uh, that women pay over their lifetime and for stuff like this and other things that men yeah. don't have to pay for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that they said for tampons, you're looking at close to $2,000 for a lifetime. Uh, pads, about $4,700 for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, far and away, the, uh, the, the best deal going is the menstrual cup. Uh, this is a sort of like a bell-shaped cup that's flexible. Uh, it's usually like silicone. And this is reusable. It's it's washed through, and I think you're supposed to boil it like once a month. That's about. Uh, you're still not going to use that one for your whole life, but they say about eighty bucks maybe over your life. Uh, and there are also menstrual discs. And the difference between a menstrual disc, and I think that they're newer than menstrual cups, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, a cup sits in the vagina below the cervix uh, and extends into the canal. Um, it depends on the brand, of course, but the disc uh, fits back into the vaginal fornix, which is where your cervical canal meets your cervix. Thank mm. you, Healthline.com, for that direct quote. Very nice. Menstrual cups, they're usually made of like silicone. And yeah, you can, I saw that you use them for about two years before you need to get another one. They're also considered fairly green, especially considered um, compared to pads and tampons. But like you said, pads and tampons remain far and away the most popular sanitary products in the United States. So much so, Chuck, that in the same paragraph, (laughs) I saw that 62% of uh, Americans use pads, while 42% use tampons, which means that there's 104% Americans out there uh, who menstruate. <laughs> In the same paragraph, this wasn't from like two different wow. sources either. It's weird. The other thing I did want to mention, I found was interesting, is we didn't get into too much history here, but uh, apparently in ancient Rome they use wool. Uh, mm. In Africa they rolled up grasses, mm-hmm. sort of like a tampon, and they used tell them about Hawaii ferns. Isn't that beautiful in a way? I think so. Yeah, it sounds like I would hope it's like very pleasant and not like. Not pleasant, but yeah, ferns, I saw that too. I wouldn't think they'd be very absorbent, but I guess, I don't know. I I guess it's better than nothing. Who knows? Sure. Um, There's also hormonal birth control or the birth control pill, which we did an entire episode on a while back. And you can actually prevent um, menstruation on birth control pills uh, if you don't don't eat the sugar pills or placebo pills that uh, fill up the weak at the end of the, oh. the pill pack, mm-hmm. if you just jump right into your next birth control pill immediately, you won't menstruate. And the reason why is because those hormonal pills keep your estrogen levels nice and even. 
So there's no spike. And if there's no spike in estrogen levels, there's no, um, there's no signal to trigger the follicular phase or the luteal phase because both of those phases, which are really important in dropping an egg, um, are, uh, are triggered by estrogen. So if there's no estrogen spike, there's no egg that's going to come out of the, um, the follicles. Very interesting. Yeah. I'm and, sure and we they, talked about that in uh, birth control, right? I'm sure we had yeah. to, too. Yeah. But apparently they've they've decided now, once and for all, that it's totally, if you're not trying to get pregnant, you could just stay on birth control um, constantly and never have a period if you didn't want to. And from everything uh, uh, gynecologists and biologists can tell, there's not really any ill effects that come out of that. Interesting. It's su- supposedly safe to just do. Uh, well, a minute ago, we mentioned toxic shock syndrome uh, with a promise to go back to it. And this is something that can happen if you leave a tampon in too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a pretty rough bacterial infection, uh, and it can include you know, dizziness, vomiting, uh, diarrhea. It can include organ failure and death. Mm-hmm. And it is a, a very specific toxic staph bacteria that can really grow and flourish in the fibers of a tampon. And this has led, you know, a lot of people, especially, um, you know, in in politics, women in Congress to say, hey, you know what? These tampons are all have these proprietary uh, constructions and what goes into a tampon. And we need to know, like, there needs to be more transparency here. Yeah. Of what it, what is in these things? I mean, it's generally thought to be like cotton and rayon and quote synthetic fibers, but like I said, each one is proprietary, so they don't release the ingredients. And these bills just repeatedly die in, uh, you know, die on the floor and right. just been years and years and still haven't gotten through. I don't think, right? No, that's absolutely the case. Um, supposedly, in response, the um, like uh, the pads and tampon makers. Uh, have started to release more information about what goes into their products on their websites, but they also still point to the FDA. Um, A lot of people don't realize this, but tampons are regulated as a medical device in the United States, which means the FDA uh, supposedly tests them, verifies their safety, Mm -hmm. um, and makes sure that the, the stuff that's being sold in the U.S. is fully safe. Uh, again, ostensibly, we've done plenty of episodes about how the FDA has dropped the ball here or there. Um, but there, there is still kind of this like ongoing struggle to find out exactly what is in tampons and, um, and pads. Um, but yeah, again, the FDA regulates tampons at least. So um, I find that curious. It is curious. Uh, and but I think the reason why they got into it, Chuck, was um, from that toxic shock syndrome and realizing that that staff can grow in the fibers of the tampon. And I think that's when the FDA got involved and started claiming domain over tampons in particular. Interesting. Um, and then, Chuck, we talked about all these different um, sanitary products, again, which is what they're called. Um, and even if you use them, there can be times where they just malfunction or don't work or it wasn't in right or who, who, however you want to put it, and accidents happen. And I think if you are a teenager in high school and this happens to you, you probably feel that your life is over. And I just want to take a moment to assure you that as embarrassing as that probably is for you, um, your life is not over. Eventually, it's going to become something that you laugh about, make fun of, um, and you will get past. So please don't let that f- 
don't feel like that's going to frame the rest of your life, even though it, it does feel like it now. Of course. Uh, and, you know, that kind of leads us to uh, just sort of the, the culture around it, period, not only here in the United States, but uh, worldwide, because in some countries it is um, – it's really awful how menstruation is treated and how people can be ostracized for menstruating or even if they might be menstruating. I think Ed points out that the uh, KHOI, the Koi people, um, mm-hmm. they eat their meals separated by gender just in case someone might be menstruating. Yeah, those are the people from the Gods Must Be Crazy from right. the Kalahari. Um, yeah, so there's like that's a really good example of a, a very ingrained social taboo um, against menstruation that you find in um, undeveloped or less developed cultures. And, you know, those of us in the West tend to be like, you know, that's so undeveloped. Of course, there's a weird social taboo. But uh, we should not judge so fast because it was not very long ago that um, Europe had its own well-ingrained social taboos against menstruation as well, right? Yeah, I mean, we're talking, you know, late 1800s, which is not that long ago, uh, France, which you would think is a very advanced country, they barred uh, women who were menstruating from working at food production jobs. Like if you were a winemaker, you had mm-hmm. to take off and not work and therefore not get paid uh, when you were menstruating. And as late as the 1890s in Britain, even, uh, there were doctors that refused to perform surgeries on women who were menstruating. Right. And so, I mean, there's like reasons behind this. I think part of it is just simple um, misogyny, um, just just a way to, to keep women um, feeling ashamed, um, feeling controlled by society. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a big part of it. And then also definitely tied into it is the idea, I mean, there's blood. And, you know, humans are just hardwired to not be comfortable at the sight of blood or want to go toward it or anything like that, you know. So I think those combined probably uh, at least partially explain where some of these social taboos came from and how they've remained for so long. Yeah. And, you know, this is uh, there are some countries that actually celebrate it. We did talk about the monarchy being celebrated uh, in certain Native American cultures. There are other um, there are other countries where they they really take care of women who are menstruating, whether it's mm-hmm. um, like in Ghana, menstruating women have an umbrella that they they sit under and, and little tents that they sit under so they can at least be in the shade when they're having their period. Mm-hmm. And you found another country, too, that uh, did something similar, right? Well, it was a Native American indigenous group, the Ojibwe. Oh, okay. And they actually, they consider women um, who are menstruating uh, actually on their period in that phase of their menstrual cycle as being spiritually powerful. Like this is a time where um, they might have visions, um, where they uh, they usually uh, use it to self-reflect or to learn from elders. And they actually would seclude women um, who were menstruating on their period. They would put them in like these little houses that were purpose built for it. But it wasn't to be like, ew, get away from us. It was like, you're in a really um, significant place right now, and you should go use this time to, again, reflect on yourself, reflect on, uh, you know, what you're learning from your elders, and just basically t- making the most out of this spiritually powerful, you know, few days out of this month. Yeah, and I mean, it's great hearing those stories. There are far too many places, though, where it, where it is the opposite. Uh, there's a term uh, we should talk about 
uh, briefly called period poverty. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are cultural barriers, political barriers, economic barriers to sanitary products, to services, uh, to education. Uh, And they they affect everything, everything from uh, hygiene to your job, to your health, uh, to your education and going to school. And it's a it's a problem in the world. And there are all kinds of great um, organizations that if you want to help provide menstrual products to people in need, mm-hmm. there are some great charities out there doing it. Um, just, you know, just Google that like menstrual product charity. And there are all there are many, many of them. That, uh, there's one called Freedom for, for the number four girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, there are lots of them. And you should just check them out if that's something uh, that you feel like is worthwhile, because it is. Yeah, I mean, it's a really easy thing to overlook in, you know, the United States or Canada or Australia or the UK. Um, And then it's especially easy to overlook in those countries as a man. Like, you just don't think about that kind of thing. Yeah. But even in those countries, people do experience period poverty. So, I mean, it's not like you're just helping people in less developed nations. Like, you're helping people in your own country, too, who don't have access to it. And again, that access to sanitary products is considered a human right, or it's becoming more and more considered a human right. Absolutely. Uh, Should we close with some minstrel myths? Yes. This is fun. It is fun. Uh, This is a myth that I heard so much in my life, I assumed it was true, which is that women, if they hang out a lot together, like in an office or, mm-hmm. a, or a small business or in a dorm uh, or a sorority house, that they will sync up. Uh, it can be called menstrual synchrony uh, sure. or the McClintock effect, which is uh, named after who is to blame for this, <laughs> which is a 1971 study by Martha McClintock. Uh, about women in a college dorm. It was published in Nature uh, magazine, and uh, it got a lot of attention, and I think people still think that women can sync up, and that just has proved not to be the case. It's been debunked over and over, and they found a lot of problems with the initial study. So I saw a couple of things. I saw that it was discredited and debunked, and um, I also saw that it remains unproven. And apparently McClintock's initial study was, you know, left a lot to be desired. So her methodology was not really great. So the whole thing couldn't be reproduced using her exact methodology. But apparently, anecdotally speaking, it's so prevalent um, that, like, people just refuse to believe it just doesn't exist and say, we just haven't figured out how how to prove it yet. Well, what I saw, and again, may, maybe the jury's still out, but what I saw was that the variable, the variability of the menstrual cycle among people who menstruate and mm-hmm. the days that it can change and get thrown out of sync and it can last longer or be shorter, mm-hmm. then that overlap is what accounts for people thinking that they're syncing up. I see. Um, I see. But who knows? I mean, I, I think maybe the jury's still out, but we can definitely say that no one proved that women sync up. That's fun. Right? Let's both say that. Yes. <laughs> what, are, what other myths are out there? Uh, we've got some good ones, Chuck. This is one that I didn't realize either. Um, the idea that you can't get pregnant on your period. Newsflash, you totally can. Yeah. And in like really take that to heart. You mm-hmm. can get pregnant in your period. And the reason why is if you'll remember back to what we were talking about when we kind of were doing the nitty-gritty of um, the menstrual and um, ovulation cycles, they kind of overlap. 
So that follicular cycle starts when you start your period. And if you have a short follicular cycle, you might drop uh, an egg pretty shortly after you stop your period. That's fine and dandy. The problem is, is sperm is viable for up to five days in the human body, in a woman's body. So if you drop an egg and there's sperm that's hanging out on day five, it can fertilize that egg, even though you're um, still on your period. You had sex while you were on your period. That's right. So again, you can get pregnant on your period. Very important if you're just getting started in your uh, sexual life to understand this, or at any time in your life. Yeah, I was going to say, or you don't want a big surprise you know, in your midlife. Right. Uh, what about sharks and bears? Despite what Steve Carell said in Anchorman, <laughs> which is one of the very funny scenes. It really is. Uh, apparently, some people think that's true. And what's weird is there was a 1988 study uh, that was conducted that the National Park Service hosts on their website or mentions on their website that um, said that it's entirely possible that Um, a period could attract bears because bears have such an amazing sense of smell, Um, but that they would not be any more attracted to that odor than any other odor that might attract them. So it's not like you're just guaranteed to be attacked by a bear if you go into the woods while you're menstruating. Right, like the bear smells, it might as well be an uneaten hot pocket to a bear. (laughs) That's the equivalent of (laughs) menstruating as far as bears are concerned. Uh, Did you see the part about polar bears, though? No, huh? They did, this was on the same NPS uh, site, they did an actual study, and it seems that, or at least in the study, polar Mm -hmm. bears actually were specifically attracted to menstrual blood. Oh my God, so we not only didn't bust a myth, we actually supported a myth. Well, it's, it's, they said grizzlies and black bears, they did tests where they had like, you know, tampons and stuff out with other things. Mm-hmm. And the grizzly bears and black bears didn't really care. But um, uh, the polar bears did. And I, I don't know, like, how foolproof that study is. But they, they basically said the jury's still out on polar bears. And polar bears are just super aggressive anyway. They're one of the only animals that, like, will stalk a human. Uh, mm-hmm. I think polar bears, lions, and I think there's one more. But um, so that it may be due to that. But uh Jury's still out on that. I think sharks is a definite no, right? Yeah, from what I saw. From what our friends at You by Kotex say, it's definitely no. Is that where that was from? (laughs) That's where that one came from, yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, Just a couple more things to button up before we go. Uh, We definitely didn't want to scare you about toxic shock syndrome. It's actually exceedingly rare. I think there's something about like 50 to 80 cases a year. Um, And you can stay on top of it by staying on top of changing your tampon regularly. Uh, I think no longer than eight hours. And then also don't use one that's more absorbent than you need because, again, they proliferate on the fibers. So more fibers means more chance for that bacteria to proliferate and create those toxins. That's one. And then also one other thing, even uh, if you're not worried about getting pregnant on your period, you can still catch sexually transmitted diseases on your period. So you should be wearing a condom in that case anyway. That's right. Good job, buddy. Thank you. Good job to you. There's also a tampon shortage going on right now, Chuck. Did you see that? I did. Uh, There's a lot of things that there's a shortage of right now. So that's um, obviously worrisome, especially uh, with these organizations that try to send these to places where they really, really need them. 
Yeah, for sure. But there's few shortages that can be attributed to Amy Schumer. Uh, and this one has been, at least in part. There was a, a big um, Tampax ad campaign featuring Amy Schumer that Tampax said was so colossally um, impactful and sales went up so high that they blame part of the tampon shortage on that ad campaign. I'd buy anything Amy Schumer told me to buy. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> sure. She's America's greatest national treasure. <laughs> She's one of them. She's better than the Declaration of Independence and Abe Lincoln's hat rolled together. <laughs> Which is what some people used as tampons during the Civil War. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> nice. Uh, you got anything else? I got nothing else. All right, Chuck. Way to go, buddy. Um, we did it. And we did since it. I just said that, it's time for listener mail. Uh, we had our drowning episode uh, run on our Saturday Selects recently and got a lot of uh, people writing in again about that. Mm -hmm. And this is a water safety PSA from um, someone who worked as a lifeguard. Uh, her name is Ella Feinberg. And Ella says a couple of things, one of which is water wings are not safe. Uh, parents, and these are the things that the parents put their little kids in mm -hmm. that goes around their chest and then their arms. They're called floaties. You know, they put their little tiny arms through there. Sure. Uh, many parents think they're legit flotation devices. I don't blame them, um, but they don't secure onto their arms very well. And there's a very real risk that if a kid goes under, the water wings will float up to their wrists and not do anything to keep their actual head above water. Mm, that's uh, not good. And newsflash, you can't breathe if your hands are above the water. That's the second newsflash of this episode. If only your hands were above water, <laughs> I should say. Right. Uh, and here's another newsflash. Um, Ella says, something you didn't mention is, if you are not a strong swimmer and you don't have a flotation device with you, mm -hmm. do not help someone who is drowning. Mm. Uh, and it, it fights probably most people's instinct, but you see stories all the time about two people drowning instead of one person drowning. Yeah. Um, or, you know, maybe causing that person to even drown quicker because you're not a good swimmer. Uh, but Ella says, uh, just reiterates a few different times, uh, just do not attempt to rescue a, a drowning victim if you can't swim very well yourself. Uh, mm. Call your local emergency number, uh, wait for someone, go screaming for help, uh, and fight that instinct. And that is from uh, Ella Feinberg, former lifeguard. Nice. Thanks a lot, Ella. I think you really did some good work here, and we appreciate you. And hello to your husband, because they listen together. Nice. Um, well, if you want to be like Ella and share some really great, important information, we would love to share it with everybody else. You can share it with us via email at stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tail. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.